0: Hello, this is Angelica Yengst, and you're listening to Centered, Grounded Conversations About the Metaphysical. Blessed September, friends. It's Angelica Yengst with your tarot, sky and earth medicine reading for September 2023. So we're basically starting September with everything in retrograde. I mean, not really because actually more is going into retrograde, but And I shouldn't say that. In July, Venus went retrograde, which slowed us down in the relationship department and really forced us to contemplate what we want in our relationships, to use our words. And we think about how we want them structured. You know, it wasn't the worst Venus retrograde. We were in Leo, which is very dynamic and shiny. Um, But it did sometimes make us And you'll all agree with me a wee bit grumpy and lonely and honestly prone to say fuck it to all the friends and lovers that we have. And then we sit there alone. We have a bath. And after the bath, we go, I miss them. And then we call them and make it all nice again. So it's in that alone place where the magic happens. And there is always medicine in retrogrades. So Venus was like, I know you're alone right now. See, you need people. I told you. Come on, honey, you know, Venus is nicer than, <laughs> than I would be if I were Venus. But anyway, uh, in August, of course, the notorious M.E.R.C. went retrograde. That's right. Mercury. Did you like the rap name that I just bestowed upon Mercury? Uh, <laughs> the aftermath of Mercury retrograde is in my personal life. My dryer's broken. My lawnmower went to the shop twice. It's still not back. Uh, I feel like Laura Ingolds Wilder hanging my clothes outside. One of my laptops exploded. Other things happened that I just don't know. I feel like I'm living in a pasture land. I'm calling to my kids and telling them, you know, come on, half bite. I'm, I'm joking. I also can't speak without my stutter coming back to haunt me. So forgive me because I am not doing the amount of audio editing I've been doing the last month for this one. All right, I'm done. And I think that's because Uranus also retrograded August 29th. And Uranus directs, like on the best day, Uranus forces us into change, right? Like it just shit happens. Um, But when it's retrograde, it really is like, it's your turn now, honey. Like we enter this revolutionary punk rock meltdown where we're like, I got to change. And we do things like ba- break our own uh, boundaries. We're like, "I need to change everything. I'm going to restructure things. You know, this isn't working. This, it's not working for me." And we also change our worldview. We also change, you know what we think we're supposed to be. So then it's like we kick all the heathers out of lunch table, you know? Because we need to be independent. We need to be alone. We need to be ourselves. And authenticity is really important. And so Uranus is going to be retrograde until January 27th. And it just started on the 29th of August. So, you know, you can buckle up and stop blaming the moon for the next three months. Because the moon's just breathing and shit. And Uranus is like, yo, Holmes, I'm out. And that means we have to change. And we're going to talk a little more about that. But... Um, we're the only ones that can really change us. And, you know, as someone in recovery, of course, I go back to the serenity prayer. And, you know, I think it's just wise for anyone, whether you're in recovery or not, to be like, you know, uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And so it's on us, baby, to change. And it's also on us to double check things when Mercury's retrograde. And to investigate what we actually freaking want out of a relationship with another person when when Venus is, is retrograde or not. But, you know, these retrogrades have medicine. And they have the medicine of us having to slow down and sit in the soup, right? In the shitty soup sometimes of like, I created this mess, now I got to get myself out of it. A lot of times what we're figuring out is our own sense of joy and happiness. What is fulfilling to us? Who are we authentically? And those things are really important. If you're feeling a little chaotic and anxious from all these retrograding planets, remember that the sun is in Virgo. And while Virgo is a mutable sign, it's also an earth sign. And so it seeks stability. Okay. And it's mutability, the way it deals with life coming at them is it develops an action plan. So we can lean on that Virgo sun to help us dot all the I's and cross all the T's. You know, we always kick September off in Virgo season. I don't think it's a mistake that school starts in Virgo season or right before it. Virgo vibes inspire us, like I said, to find some order and chaos to clear out unnecessary clutter from our lives, and to focus on one-year, five-year, ten-year goals. So Virgo, you know, is way different in its mutability than Pisces, Gemini, and Sagittarius, and that's because um, it's industrious, hardworking, it's spiritual, and it kind of gives Virgo anxiety to be in changing circumstances, So what it does is focus on the little details, make sure those are all coming together. And that's what makes it less intense when you're in Mercury retrograde, for example, than in other uh, stations of, of Mercury retrograde. So this first week of September... The sun and Mercury are both in Virgo, which will be really a great, and and also will be a great connection to Jupiter. So Jupiter is the planet of expansion and opportunity, and it represents luck, fortune, success, generosity. It is a kind, abundant force for good in the universe. We think of Jupiter as a benevolence. It's always good. Okay. Now remember that. Okay. Because we're going to come back to that. We have a tie in later. But Jupiter, you know, is very expansive. It's big thinking. It's healthy. It's wealthy. It's got it all. It's powerful. It's the engine of achievement and success. So think of like in Greek mythology, Jupiter is Zeus in Greek mythology. So he is the king of gods. And while Mercury may be retrograde, the first week of September is a great week to make progress on goals. You want to look at stuff with a new eye. And that's why... You know, even though I'm talking about and joking about all these retrogrades and Uranus's, you know, punk rock attitude and uh, Mercury being retrograde, we have Jupiter being like a super positive force in the world. Okay, so that makes it that we can start to look at some of these things with Uranus's idea of bringing down structures and really undermining uh, dominant paradigms that aren't serving us. So, um, we do actually have a lot of these retrogrades moving direct, not a lot of them, but half of them, let's say on September 3rd, Venus ends her hot girl summer retrograde, meaning she went off to Bali and left us all. All right. She was in Leo and she is basically coming back and she's saying, I will help you now. And I'm reborn and I've had a little glow up (laughs) and, um, you know, we get to rise up out of the relationship and say, Okay, we have gone through this stuff since the end of July. And so reflect on your main relationships. What have they gone through? Um, and what are you ready to like bring back into the world, into your relationship together? I love like sometimes, you know, I read a lot of different astrologers to kind of get and compile this together, and one of them said Retrograde is connecting you with your inner Juno, your inner Medea, and your inner Lilith um, to those selves who are overlooked and discarded, only to return demanding grand and fiery vengeance. So do expect yourself to be in a good place, you know, feeling powerful, feeling like you understand what's going on. So that happens September 3rd. Venus goes direct. And then the day after, September 4th, Jupiter goes retrograde. So, you know, this is four months of Jupiter retrograde, September 4th to December 31st in Aries. So, you know, as far as retrogrades go, this is a transit that a lot of astrologers say, this isn't as bad as you think it is. Because what we do when Jupiter's retrograde is we process our personal personal ethics and belief systems. And so Jupiter, you know, because it's a, a benevolent planet, it basically says, hey, let's just like reevaluate your relationship with the world, with money, with priorities, with luck. And so, you know, I know there's a lot of like spiritual leaders, and astrologers, and I feel sometimes like very out of tune with that because there's all this like intentions, abundance, get your money, honey. And, you know, let's like, do all this amazing stuff by just thinking about it. And, you know, to me, when I'm reflecting on abundance and materialism and joy, I'm basically thinking like, uh, I don't want to always be asking for things. I would like insight. I would like spiritual wellness. I would like health, you know, abundance looks a lot different than just a lot of money and so if your idea of abundance is only around money i think there's spiritual work to do around jupiter's gifts you know if it's if it's not on joy if it's not on living a good life it's not on ethics not on being of service to others then what are you doing because as the buddha said you cannot take that shit with you yo Okay, so I have a degree in religion, and I love learning about religions. And as you can tell from the very authentic (laughs) quote I just read, I like studying religions. Um, But if you're a Christian, I think it's really interesting to revisit the actual words that are written in the New Testament from the synoptic gospels. And the reason I say that is because a lot of us will go to church and get— Whatever is being told to us, as like, oh, yeah, that's from the Gospels, you know. And we have seen time and time again how people can uh, misquote things, pull things out of context, do all kinds of things like that. So I encourage you to go back and read Mark, Matthew, Luke um, for the story of Jesus and, and what they're quoting Jesus as having said. Because the idea that Jesus was a supporter of capitalism is a 20th century evangelical creation. Obviously, that is not written anywhere in the Gospels. Jesus is a total revolutionary. He is an anti-capitalist. He fights the man. And I think most Christians are fed the image of Jesus from the book of Revelation, which is a strange read, particularly if you you know want to be traumatized by hideous imagery of God's wrath. And that's primarily what Revelation is talking about. It really expands on, um, you know, the prophecies of Daniel and kind of is explaining the Armageddon. And what it's really explaining is the current political situation in the, on the time it was written, okay? The Romans are occupying you know, Jerusalem. So think about the historical context of the book of Revelation, okay? And so I listened to a, a really good interview with the Bible scholar Bart Ehrman on this very subject. I'm, I'll link I'll link everything I'm referring to in the notes, the show notes, um, so I'm not going to go into it. I'm, first of all, I don't want to piss people off. And secondly, I'm such a nerd uh, with religions that it makes me a lot more heady than hardy and, you know, faith is very heart-centered, and I don't want to step on toes, but I do think it is important to know that, you know, what does your own religion believe about these things? You know, what is the core of your uh, ethics and spiritual beliefs? And that's what Jupiter retrograde, I think, is going to be most useful for. I'm always fond of reminding people of this quote I read from John saying. Um, And it says this, it's like a little meme. It says, Jesus was a radical, nonviolent revolutionary who hung out out with lepers, hookers, and crooks. He wasn't American and never spoke English, was anti-wealth, anti-death penalty, anti-public prayer. That's Matthew chapter six, book five. But it was, he he was never anti-gay, never mentioned abortion or birth control, never called the poor lazy, never justified torture, never fought for cat. Tax cuts for the wealthiest Nazarenes. He never asked a leper for a copay, and he was a long-haired, brown-skinned, homeless community organizing, anti-slut shaming Middle Eastern Jew. God, I love that. Um, anyway, as you can tell, I'm feeling a little sassy this su- September, and I am also um, giving the finger to Mercury retrograde. <laughs> I'm going to regret that, aren't I? Okay. So let's move o- let's move on from whatever uh, that tangent was. And on the new moon in September, it is of course in Virgo because the new moon is the same as the sun sign, um, and that's September 14th. So it's a great time to talk about what intentions you are ready to set after some of these retrogrades go direct. So Mercury goes direct the day after September 15th. So uh, technically you're still in Mercury retrograde, but you know, moving out, there is a shadow period that ends the end of the month, but, um, at the new moon, the sun and the moon are both in Virgo. So we are still paying attention to our five-year plans. We're looking at details. We're double checking things. And so both the sun and moon are aligning nicely with the Uranus, um, retrograde, Um, And actually, the sun and moon are going to oppose Neptune and trine Jupiter, Uranus, and Pluto. So this is a cycle filled with opportunities for expansion, for individuation, for personal transformation. Again, we're looking at who are we, our authenticity, and how we are living. Like, are we walking our talk? And that's going to be primarily what these retrogrades are showing us. This is a cycle of that. So every Virgo new moon is an invitation to make little adjustments to our life so that we can get to our five-year plan. However, when it's opposed to Neptune, we can sometimes get confused with our dreams and reality. So just really making sure that you're grounding. So before focusing on improving, fixing, or organizing, think about like, okay, where, where is their chaos right now? Where am I feeling lost? And then allow a new awareness to emerge from there. So, you know, I think part of it too, is just question reality. You know, if your five-year plan is to be a model, you know, being able to ask someone, you know, that you trust, like, am I, am I crazy for thinking this? Like, be honest with me. You know, like if we're being roped into a quick relationship where somebody proposes in two weeks, I mean, that's a red flag, people. Come on. Ground. Virgo is your friend. So don't do that. Okay. I've, I've listened to too many true crime podcasts. I'm just telling you, if somebody proposes in two weeks, be careful. And I know there's going to be people who write me and like, I got married after a two-week engagement. Good for you. Okay. But this is a bad time to do that. Okay. So listen to your intuition. Don't get too carried away with fantasies and feelings because feelings are not reality. All right. Love bombing feels awesome. And if you ever think you're in the midst of some lovey shit and you're like, uh, this seems a little weird and fast but I guess it's fine. No, that's, that's your little, that's your inside going, uh, run. (laughs) As we say in recovery, don't believe everything you think. All right. And that new moon period is going to be one of those times where the shysters are coming out of the woodwork. Okay. So Mercury retrograde ends September 15th. So it is easier to think clearly and put on some of your shiny new ideas And put them into motion after that point. Okay, so just give yourself a moment. You don't have to always be like, yes, I will move to Alaska with you. All right. I don't even know what I'm talking about because I am a married 50-year-old. So no one's asking me to go to Alaska to start a new life. But you know what I mean. We've all had those moments. But I'm particularly talking to those youngins who aren't lined up with anyone yet remember the catfish is real <laughs> i've seen the show okay on september 23rd at 2:50 a.m eastern time the sun enters the cardinal sign of libra so that kicks off autumn and it's also kicking off autumn equinox or as the Wiccans like to call it, Mabon. And that marks the time of equal day and equal night. And the midpoint between the traditional agrarian autumn season, which of course starts on August 1st with the first harvest. So um, when we move into autumn on autumn equinox, what we're really doing is we're moving to the west on the medicine wheel, the direction of water, of deep insights, of emotion. This is the direction of processing grief, death, and emotions. Okay. So, you know, in some ways we see uh the darkness is starting to overtake the light. And Demeter begins her grief season as Persephone defend descends, sorry, into the underworld. So Earth focused celebrants think of Maybon or Autumn Equinox as the second harvest and the largest harvest of the year. Um, this is the second of three, so Lamas kicks us off August first, beginning of quote unquote, harvest season or autumn with first harvest, second harvest, and first harvest is like wheat, grains, corn. Second harvest is this one with all the root vegetables, uh, pumpkins, squash, there's um, trees like uh, pears, apples, all of them. So this is really an abundant holiday. And then Samhain is the third and final harvest on October 31st to November 1st. So we think of autumn equinox as kind of a a Thanksgiving festival. So a, a time to, of gratitude and giving thanks. Um, and we celebrate with all the same traditional foods as Thanksgiving in the U.S. So, you know, potatoes and pumpkin, squash, root veggies, uh, apple pie, pumpkin pie, cranberries and veggies, you know, that are harvested at that time. I like celebrating... Uh, autumn equinox better than traditional thanksgiving because of the association so now you know it's it's a day of mourning here in the u.s and um so we tend to have our traditional thanksgiving food on september 22nd um and so you know we are also kicking off into libra season and that's important too so for a sense of how libra functions in astrology from mid-september to mid-october You can look no further than the sweet, sweet Venus that we just got out of retrograde with. That is the planet of relationships, beauty, art, and values. And so uh, Libra is ruled by those things, rules those things too. So Libra is drawn to and thrives on socializing. They also often uh, will wrestle with, um, you know, this... A lot of people are like, oh, Libras are wishy-washy. It's not that. I think that the thing that we have to think about with Libra is that they are drawn to people. They like to host things. They like aesthetically pleasing things. They're, they're the ones that walk the beauty way. They're the ones who really um, bring in peace. They are often considered the most attractive of the signs. You know, they're they're just really associated with creating beauty. And so on the other side is that, you know, they abhor conflict. And so they go out of their way to preempt it. And it also goes hand in hand with, you know, this air sign and the need to create balance and see and talk about both sides of any given issue. So because they're natural peacemakers and mediators, it makes it seem like they're wishy-washy but what they're really doing is trying to be good leaders of the air sign so they are the ones that are the most go-getter go-getting of the air signs their initiative is really strong they're very good at communicating but they prefer not to butt heads so libra's 10 libra season tends to be a pretty calm season libra is wired to dive headfirst into projects, but also to get bored easily in projects and move on and just be like, I'm done, I'm out. Now the other side, you know, the directly opposite of Libra is Aries, and we'll have an Aries full moon on September 29th. And the full moon in Aries is, of course, this is a cardinal fire sign. So very independent, They're the leaders. They know what they want when they want it. And Aries uh, asks us to embrace our independence. So you see that interplay, right, between the Libra trying to be a peacemaker and mediator and Aries wanting to embrace independence and freedom and be the only one to do it. My Aries daughter used to say when she was a little, little sprite of a girl, she would say, I do it. My best self, instead of I do it by myself, she would say, I do it my best self. And so Aries, a cardinal fire sign, gets pretty kicky when they don't get to be independent or when they're undermined. Uh, They want to be trusted to do the thing, even if they will suck at it. And so often, you know, during the Aries full moon, we let people do the thing by themselves. They, they they give people autonomy, give them freedom to do it themselves. Aries will push you to speak your truth in relationships. And um, so you have to do it your best self, right? Libra season inspires us to compromise. So we're just kind of looking at that interplay between compromise and my best self. So the Aries full moon marks a culmination, a, a point where... We get to close up the summer and open up space for what is to come and how we're going to interplay between compromise and aloneness, which the Venus, you know, retrograde kind of showed us some some play with this summer. So here are, um, you know, just to say one more thing, astrology is a study of cycles. And I think September is going to mark a really, a, a new beginning of a cycle, okay? And so... Use these retrogrades for information. You're on a fact-finding mission about you. And so when we are struggling with things like our relationship to money, our relationships in general, how we communicate about things, how we deal with mutability, those things are going to be important, okay? Points on the calendar to pay attention to. September 3rd, Venus retrograde ends. uh, September 4th, Jupiter retrograde begins. September 14th, New moon in in Virgo, September 15th, Mercury retrograde ends, September 22nd, autumn equinox and Libra season begins, and September 29th, there's a full moon in Aries. So let's talk about our tarot card of the month. I pulled the Ten of Cups, and everyone loves the Ten of Cups. It's the happy family card. The Ten of Cups shows a rainbow and then a happy family dancing under it. So the rainbow really only comes after storm. So we see this card as the end of difficult times, particularly within relationships. Now, if you want to go into the technical imagery of this, the rainbow was the symbol that God showed to Noah after the great flood that killed everything except whatever was on his boat. Okay. And so a lot of people, like there's interesting philosophy of religion um, and I know this isn't technically part of, uh, Kierkegaard's book. Soren Kierkegaard is a philosopher who wrote this book called Fear and Trembling. And what he wrote it about was, um, Isaac and Abraham, the story of Isaac and Abraham, where God asks, uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac to kill him. And Abraham's like, Oh my God. Like, Abraham and his wife could not have children. And so they were like 80 when Isaac is born. So then God's like, okay, just sacrifice him. And he's like, what are you talking about? I can't kill my kid. And he's like, you have to. And so at the last moment, um, God stops him and says, you were committed to killing your son. So you will get all the blessings of whatever. And... um, This is another one that we wrestle with. So so anyway, in fear and trembling, and I'll link that in the notes too, I didn't think of it, but I will. Uh, Kierkegaard basically says, what kind of God asks you to kill your own son, right? This is part of what he wrestles with. And a lot of people think the same thing about the flood, right? Like what kind of God punishes, it's just like, oh, I messed up with humans. Like I'm going to create a flood kill everyone and start over with two of every animal, two of every, you know, two of these humans that seem pretty good and their kids. But, you know, what happens is that, you know, when they land and I'll read from the old Testament. um, And this is what Christians call the Torah. um, But this is, What it says. It's Genesis chapter 9 verse 12. God says, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbows appear in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures on earth. And it says that over and over again. Um, And basically it says, you know, the sun's, of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so these three are like the families that that started all of the Christians, right? That's the idea, okay? Now, the idea here is that um, he, you know, the rainbow is this promise That things will be better. Okay. And I just want to say that, yes, I know what happens right after that part of the Bible, which is Noah gets drunk. They're celebrating Noah gets drunk and lays with his children and just fucks up humanity again. But anyway, I'm not even going to go there. Okay. But you can see that like Revelation, remember how I talked about Revelation, how that's in direct conflict Anyway, so that's the whole point is when we get the Ten of Cups and we see that rainbow, we have that hope. You're not going to go through this again. Now, I'm a realist. I'm a Capricorn and a Taurus moon. So I can just tell you that you are not uh, given a respite after suffering. As someone who had one cancer in 2021 and a different, separate, totally separate cancer in 2022— I can just tell you that just because you had a bad thing happen doesn't mean you're immune from other bad things happening. But it is a nice thought, and I love hope. And I think the Ten of Cups gives us a lot of hope. It gives us a lot of hope of the happy family, that when we go through hard times, that we can recover. Here's a family home. It shows stability and comfort, and there's a river running through it, and it shows a nice flow of emotions, and everyone's in love, and they can see their land, and the land looks fertile, and there's lots of grassiness and trees. And I love that this is the card for Venus retrograde, for Libra season, for Jupiter retrograde, for Uranus retrograde, you know, the 10 of cups is the final card of the pips in the, the suit of water. So it means you get, when you get a 10, you're starting this new journey, this new cycle after a long emotional journey. And so, you know, it starts with the cups, uh, it starts with the ace of cups and then goes to, you know, the two, which shows two people coming together, then three, you're sharing it and then it moves up and up and there's a powerful journey w- until you get to the 10. And the 10 gives us that hard won emotional stability that we need. It shows us harmony and love and it does hearken to grief and it does hearken to suffering, but it also goes on to give us the rainbow after the storm. It shows us the covenant that things can get better. When you're a bereaved mom and you lose a baby under a year, They often call that baby loss um, and you're suffering from baby loss. But after you've had another baby, after the baby lost, they call that the rainbow baby. And so Tommy, for example, is my rainbow baby. And so the rainbows comes with abundance. And again, we're looking at what abundance means for us, right? We may not have a lot of money, but we have a lot of love. And that can be really great. So if you're second guessing yourself, if you have had a bad year, I have a friend who says every Sunday she fights with her husband, wants to leave, and then Monday she's good again. So, you know, we have times of rupture and repair. And my friend, uh, I think she's quoting someone, but she says, you know, intimacy is built on rupture and repair. Our friendships are built on rupture and repair, you know when we are suffering in our relationships whether they're marriage relationships or friendships we have to look at the self right how do we how do we say the thing that's hard to say how do we get our needs met and as my teacher always says know what you need ask for what you want and this 10 really gets us to that place so we look at our ability to create uh hope out of sometimes suffering of untenable situations you know happiness is right there and we can accept it and we can ha- we can just accept hope as well so our plant medicine this month is evening primrose so evening primrose is a wild flower which is much loved by some and considered a weed by others as we all know weeds are Simply a matter of opinion, but <laughs> there are several Native American species and a few native to Europe. Um, so evening primrose is a little cup-shaped flower with four petals. It has eight stamen, and it has a unique uh, a, a stoma, is that what it's called? Split into four parts at the tip. Um, and flowers can be yellow, white, purple, pink. Um, and so evening primrose is famous for blooming at night, which... You know, it actually blooms like in the late afternoon and goes all night and then closes up before noon. So it does have this period of closing, you know, in the height of the the heat. But um, evening primrose is very sweet. It's neutralizing. It's a cooling uh, nighttime plant medicine. It works well with shadow emotions like irritability, frustration, resentment, tension, anger, in flexibility. It's good for nurturing and it helps if you have, uh, old wounds that you're trying to heal, especially round unforgiveness. It's great for getting to those old, old wounds. And it really is helpful to coming into a no, a rebirth cycle. Like if you're ready to be reborn of some in, into a new thing. In fact, physically, it's really good for mothers who just gave birth and babies, but it's not good for pregnant mamas. So avoid, um, when you're pregnant. Um, also, if you have epilepsy and schizophrenia, you should avoid using uh, evening primrose. Um, but because of the connection to early life and babies, it is a wonderful healer for those who have abandonment wounds, who have Uh, or who hold orphan medicine, who have rejection wounds. It's a watery medicine, but it's very stable. And it offers a kind of emotional stability that's nice. It helps you feel wanted, loved, and safe. It's really great for people in um, menopause. It's good for um, soothing skin conditions. It's good for attraction medicine or glamour medicine and beauty and love. It's associated with the lunar medicines. So um, there's a lot of great stuff that is used with evening primrose. You can find capsules and oils is primarily how you use it. Um, and you can take it in capsule form or you can just rub it on your skin. I mean, it's wonderful on the face. Um, so it is, it is great um, to be using like for skin irritations, for eczema, rocasia, rosacea, rosacea. Um, and to encourage hair growth. Um, How they make the oil is pressing the seeds. So you'll find the seeds for sale more often than you find the tea, though you can take a tea. Some people uh, feel that it's best used like as a baño or uh, in the shower, um, just using the whole plant. So that's our plant medicine. For our crystals this month, we have rose quartz. And of course, rose quartz is one of our first stones when we're kids right because it's easy to find it's abundant it's a member of the quartz family so it's a silicon dioxide crystal it has a most hardened of seven which means you can put it in water and it doesn't you know leak in or anything so it's safe for water baths all that tends to grow in massive form It, it it generally does not grow in points um, so if you're seeing points, they tend to be cut and polished, but it does sometimes grow in clusters. You'll see like, quote unquote, pink amethyst. Some people argue that's rose quartz. Other people argue that it's pink amethyst, but um, amethyst is defined by being purple. So the fact that it's pink means that it's something else like rose quartz. So um Rose quartz is really the ally for any kind of love, self-love, divine love, romantic love, parental love, forgiveness, friendship, compassion, familial love. It is the love that is the seed to spirituality. And so it works and resonates at the heart chakra. It sits at the center of you, not by accident, but because love is the center. And it is the bridge from the lower to higher chakras And so when you're working with Rose Quartz, you know, it is really about how we are loved, how we love and how we are accepted and how we accept others. So um, it is great for healing the heart. It's great for anxiety. It's great for trauma. It's great for grief. Uh, Rose Quartz helps trust, uh, helps boundaries, helps open yourself. And the main role is really compassion, uh, self-compassion, compassion for others, compassion in the world. It's basically the stone that is the essence of heart-centeredness. So we call a practice like uh, radical compassion uh, or radical self-love, ra- radical self-compassion as kind of the essence of self-love. And, and Rose Quartz is really wonderful for that. So it is uh, gentle by nature, but it is a powerful stone. Um, So really wonderful um, stone to be working with. Our second stone is clear quartz, which resonates so well with rose quartz, of course. I mean, it enhances it, but, you know, clear quartz is is a stone that I'm always like, eh, should we use this? Should I pick another card or should I pick another stone? Because clear quartz is, you know, a stone that everyone kind of knows a little bit about, But clear quartz is a silicon dioxide crystal. Again, Mohs hardness is 7. And it is one of the most abundant crystals on the planet. Nearly everyone I know has a crystal obsession because they found uh, milky quartz in their backyard. (laughs) Or clear quartz even. Clear quartz is colorless. It's hexagonal. And it has naturally faceted terminations. Um, And it sometimes grows in uh, mass as well. Uh, quartz crystals are known for piezoelectricity, which makes it useful in radios, watches, computers, etc. Where crystals and crystal healing is found, you will find quartz crystals. Part of the reason for that is that they're everywhere. So uh, quartz crystals um, are really ones that do a couple of things. So quartzes are um, known for amplifying energy. Um, they basically will help amplify whatever is around it, both good and bad. So, um, they're good for things like meditation because they amplify the messages you're getting, uh, good for healing work. I mean, they are the main ally for, for healers. Um, they're good for chakra balancing, opening, closing, closing chakras expanding consciousness assisting spiritual understanding they're good with connecting for guides past life manifestation psychic abilities peace purification cleansing spaces they also will amplify positive energy they will also um, activate grids they will also um, be good for protection work if you're using it with other crystals Um, but uh, they amplify and they also have two really important uh, qualities, which is their programmability, meaning they can be programmed um, and their storability. And so it's probably something that boggles the mind when, pe- when people hear that. They're like, how can clear quartz do those things? Well, you know, it it you can program a crystal. For a specific duty like chakra balancing or channeling or anxiety relief or psychic surgery or cleansing. Um, But they come out of the earth pre programmed and their program is to amplify whatever you're doing. Um, Katrina Raphael wrote a few books on crystals and she calls uh, master crystals different quartz crystals that come out of the earth with different shapes. Like, so she looks at the facets and counts. The sides of the facet, like so, she she's named a number of master crystals. I mean, that term gets kind of bastardized by others, but uh, she believes there's twelve master crystals um, that have been programmed by Mother Earth for specific spiritual work. And so the formations are really small little idiosyncrasies with facets and formation. But she feels that you know Mother Earth has put them in the world um, to really give humans a leg up in certain work. So you'll see things like tantric twins or Lemurians or um, laser wands, record keepers, celestials. you'll see time links or uh, record keepers. I don't know if I said that already. I think I did. Foddens, for example. Those will be like coming out of the earth with like a kind of program that you use them for. Uh, But of course, clear quartz is like so versatile you can just have a clear, like I hold a clear quartz for every tarot reading. Have I programmed it to help me with tarot? No, it just is what I do. And it feels like it helps me connect. But so clear quartz is one of your allies. And I could literally do an hour podcast on just clear quartz. And maybe I will one day, but uh for now, I'm, I'm just going to have to leave it there. And our next crystal, because we have rose quartz, clear quartz, and now pyrite. So pyrite is an interesting stone. It is an iron sulfide mineral with a metallic luster. It has a really brassy kind of coloring that's similar to gold. And so because of that, it's known as fool's gold. Um, And if you've watched Little House on the Prairie, which is the second time I've mentioned Little House today, um, you know when they find fool's gold. (laughs) So it comes from a cubic crystal system. And what's really cool is that Pyrites grow in cubes, and so you'll see now I have a number of natural cubic pyrites, and they're just so amazing. But um, they have a Mohs hardness of like 6, 6.5, but they're not great for water, so don't put them in water because they're iron, and they'll rust. It's a ferromagnetic stone, so it's really good for protection and EMF blocking. Uh, pyrite actually comes from the Greek word pyre for fire, um, and despite its name, pyrite is actually a really earthy stone. Um, and it, you know, you can find it in Namibia, in Peru, in Spain, in Mexico, in Canada, in the U.S. You know, uh, we have it here in Pennsylvania. So pyrite is a really beautiful stone. Um, it's uh, one of the only stones that when struck can uh, create a spark. So it's it's really A a useful stone. So, pyrite holds this like masculine aspect of the earth and um, it allows you to connect with the energy of the earth and to um, work with the stamina and the physical. So, it is great for strength, for um, confidence, for getting things done. It's great for taking action. It's very warming and stimulating. So, you would work with it for heat. Um, it also brings confidence and willpower and energy. It also helps with uh, courage and overcoming fears, and it helps heal relationships with the father. So pirate resonates really beautifully for the solar plexus or the third chakra, and it is considered a masculine stone. So it helps uh, both men and women in the realm of like traditionally masculine things, like like energy and vitality and willpower and action so it is a great ally for manifestation work um, and it is of course about protection it is a stone that wants to shield and protect its wearer in every possible way so whether uh, you're dealing with emotional vampires or psychic attacks clearing emf smog or simply like breaking old thought patterns pyrite is really a wonderful ally and it'll keep you strong and stable. Physically, it is good for viral infections. And it helps build strength and stamina, as I said. Emotionally, it's great for confidence and helping you with anxiety. Uh, metaphysically, it's great for protection. Um, and so, you know, I love pyrite. I think positive energy is kind of like exudes out of pyrite. And every little boy I know loves pyrite. So, um, I think you can really uh, find a lot of cool ways to work with rose quartz, pyrite and clear quartz this month. And, you know, the end here is our, our animal medicine of the month, which is was shocking to me that in the past three years of doing these podcasts monthly uh, I have not covered the wolf. So wolf is always a fan favorite and who doesn't love a wolf? I mean, they're loyal, they're playful, they're fierce. So working with students, uh, learning about animal medicine, I, I think the most prevalent guide of my people is wolf by far. And no wonder. I mean, wolf is probably one of the most misunderstood, feared, and hunted animals. But it has such a spiritual providence. Um, according to Ted Andrews, there, there's never been a confirmed attack and killing of a human by a healthy wolf. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I can tell you they've received a lot of bad press in myth and mythology. There are folk tales like um, Little Red Riding Hood and The Three Pigs, and, um, of course, we all know Peter and the Wolf. And in those stories, you know, Wolf is cunning and devious and a predator. And, of course, Wolf is a predator. But for women of a certain age, the Wolf caught our attention after Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, Women Who Run With Wolves. And one of my circle sisters said, this is the lady Bible in the spiritual community, which I love. But Dr. Estes says, wolves and women are relational by nature, inquiring, possessed of great endurance and strength. They are deeply intuitive, intensely concerned with their young, their mate, and their pack. She also writes, both have been hounded, harassed, and falsely imputed to be devouring and devious, overly aggressive, of lesser value than those of their detractors. So wolf medicine does transcend gender, but if you haven't read that book, The Bible of All Nature Worshipping Wild Women, it's really a great read, and I'm going to revisit it this fall as well. But, um, you know, wolf medicine deals with protection, with ritual, loyalty, spirit, and the interplay of community and solitude. It is the, you know, epitome, wolf is the epitome of freedom. They're the wild spirit of nature and of animals. Now, wolves were hunted and persecuted on a massive scale in the 19th and 20th centuries. And gray wolves, which once roamed most of North America, were widely hunted and intentionally exterminated by the government. And so by the mid-1900s, the last population of wolves in the lower 48 was confined to Minnesota. And the animals have been protected under the Endangered Species Act Act since the 1970s. Their populations have since grown in the Great Lakes region uh, through natural expansion and recolonization from Canada. And the same is true in the Northern Rockies, though wolves were introduced to central Idaho and Yellowstone in the mid-1990s. They started gaining everything back again and then again being hunted again. So back in, in 2022, and this has been a, a deeply argued point, like whether they should be hunted or not. In 2022, gray wolves in most of the United States were again protected under the Endangered Species Act because still wolves die in the wild, most often by gunshot wounds. So, you know, wolves have evolved on our planet for 35 million years and wolves are the biggest member of the Canid family and our you know there are two species red wolves and gray wolves and close to 40 subspecies and those would be like the arctic wolf the timber wolf the mexican wolf and so scientists don't find much difference in those subspecies not enough to even really divide them up but you know if if a wolf is found in the arctic it's an arctic wolf if it's found in woodlands it's a it's a timber wolf you know so that's how they get their subspecies name. But they're found in North America, Europe, Africa, and Asia. And so throughout the world, wolf has been used as a spiritual guide and companion of the gods and goddesses. The Celts relied on wolf as a guardian spirit. And in Scotland, the Gaelic creator goddess, Keach, rode a wolf. And I really enjoy the story of of Keach told by the Scottish storyteller, Shona Cowie. And I'll link it again in the show notes, but there's the ancient Welsh goddess of the moon, Seredwyn, with, and I I think I probably pronounced that wrong, but she has a wolf companion and the wolf sources its power from the moon. And then it gets information and knowledge that other animals don't receive, which makes it so intelligent. Um, And of course, Merlin uh, the magician of Arturian lore has wolf as his companion when he is in the forest of Ascathir, And Apollo, the Greek sun and wind god, was called Lyseneges, born of wolf. In native cultures, wolf is considered a medicine uh, associated with courage, strength, loyalty, and success at hunting. And so, like bears, wolves are considered closely related to humans by many of the North American tribes, and the origin stories of some northwest coastal tribes, like the Quileute and the Kwakiyotel, tell their first ancestors being transformed from wolves into men. In Shoshone myth, uh, wolf plays the role of the noble creator god, while the Anishinaabe mythology a wolf is the brother and the the best friend of the hero among the pueblo tribes wolves are considered uh, one of the six directional guardians associated with the east and the color white and the zuni carve stone wolf fetishes for protection so you know there is a lot of myth and mythology um, despite all the portrayals of wolf in um, european stories uh, wolves are amazing animal allies. They're friendly, they're social, they're highly intelligent, and they have a strong sense of family and loyalty. And there's definitely medicine of working in community uh, with wolf and also being a lone wolf. So wolf medicine comes in when our sense of place in the world is kind of shaky. And so we have many myths and stories of the wolf that I can't wait to cover more in depth in my membership group and through our guided shamanic journey this month with wolf, which, um, it will be available in September. So if you're in my membership group, you get the guided shamanic journey with wolf. Um, and if you're not, it'll be for sale on my website, uh, a few weeks later. So thank you all for being here and for supporting my work. Thank you so much. Have a good September. Just a little postscript, you know, thinking about the Ten of Cups and wolf medicine. Just, I think that community is going to be really important in September. And it hit me as I was kind of setting up my altar. I have five little wolf figurines and I have five members of my family. And I was thinking, you know, I need all of them on the altar, you know, in different places doing different things because sometimes the medicine is the community and how we interact within our family within our spiritual community within our work community within our friendship group and the interplay of that is really very obvious too in the 10 because it's about a family that has been apart and now is together again whether it's through illness or uh, divorce or separation or arguing or you know just being at odds. So look at community this month too. That's it. Bye. Thanks for listening to Centered with me, Angie yankst If you'd like to send me a question or comment about this show or any shows. You can send them to angie at themoonandstone.com.